Part Three, Chapter Two of the Gentleman and Lady's Book of Politeness and Propriety of Deportment. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Davidson. The Gentleman and Lady's Book of Politeness and Propriety of Deportment by Elizabeth Selnar. Part Three, Chapter Two of Promenades, Parties, and Amusements. The paragraphs contained in this chapter concern the most common relations of society. Complacence and attentions ought, therefore, to embellish and adorn those relations with all the delicate shades of politeness. Section 1 of Promenades. A young man who walks with an elderly person undoubtedly knows that his companion has not the same strength and agility as himself. He ought, therefore, to regulate his pace by that of the old person. The same precaution should be observed when we accompany a person of distinction to whom we owe respect. Decorum requires that a gentleman should offer his arm to a lady who walks with him, and politeness requires him to ask permission to carry anything which she may have in her hand, as a bag, a book, or a parasol, if the sun does not shine. In case of a refusal, he ought to insist upon it. If there are more ladies than gentlemen, we should offer our arm to the oldest and to a married lady rather than to an unmarried one. If we are accompanied by two ladies, we cannot dispense with offering our arm to each of them. Place your company upon that side which seems to them most convenient, and beware of opposing their tastes or desires. When occasion presents itself, offer seats to your companions to rest themselves, and do not urge them to rise until they manifest a wish to continue their walk. If they accept your invitation to sit down, and it happens that there are not a sufficient number of seats, then the ladies should sit, and the gentlemen remain standing. In a large public garden, chairs are seldom wanting. If it is necessary to go for some to the place where they are kept, this is the business of the gentlemen, who ought to take care not to place them before persons already seated, for this would be an incivility. When payment for the seats is called upon, one gentleman of the company pays for the whole. It would be impolite to offer to reimburse him. There is also a rule of politeness to be observed with regard to those whom we meet in walking. We ought to offend neither their eyes nor their ears. We must take care not to attract their attention by immoderate laughter, nor allow ourselves liberties which we cannot take in a private garden. To sing and skip about in walking would expose us to the hootings of the multitude, and to unpleasant things for which we could only accuse our own folly. If you are in a public promenade, converse upon general topics, which can offend no one, in order that your remarks may not be wrongly interpreted by persons who happen to hear them. Beware, on the other hand, of listening to the conversation of those who are not of your party. If you give your arm to a lady in the street, she ought to be next to the wall. And if by chance you are obliged to cross over, 
you should then change the arm. This deference is likewise due to all who are entitled to our respect. Two gentlemen do not take one another's arms in the street, unless they are young persons and intimate friends. We never go in advance of the lady whom we accompany. If she stops, we do so likewise, and remain with her in looking at whatever attracts her attention. If a medicant comes up to ask alms, we immediately draw out our purse to satisfy his wants, so that the lady with whom we are walking may not be importuned by him. If we walk in a private garden, and the company is numerous, we may separate and form distinct groups. If the master of the house, or any person of consideration, invite you to walk up and down the alleys, take care to give them the right, it being the most honorable side. At the end of each alley, and when you must retrace your steps, turn inside toward the other person, and not outward, as you would thus present your back to him. If you happen to be with two persons who are your superiors, do not place yourself in the middle, for that is the place of honor. The right is the second, and the left the third place. Be careful also of the choice of places if you take an airing in a coach, and yield the first seats to ladies and distinguished persons. The one of most consequence gets in first, and places himself at the right of the back seat. The left of the same seat is occupied next. Then the third person seats himself on the front seat, facing the one in the first place. The fourth person takes the remaining seat, facing the one in the second place. If there is no servant, it is proper for the gentleman to open the door, arrange the packets, etc. In a cabriolet or chaise, the right side is for the one who drives when there are only two persons. If there are three, the driver sits in the middle, even although he may be very inferior to his companions. I may add that it is not customary for a lady to go alone in a hired cabriolet, since she would then be in the company of the driver only. Section 2. Of Parties and Amusements. We shall have but few things to say upon the manner of conducting oneself in a party, for we should only repeat the advice we have already given as respects propriety in the carriage of the person, in visits and in conversation. If a gentleman enters a drawing-room where there are more than ten persons, he should salute all generally, by a very respectful inclination of the head, and present his respects first to the lady of the house, but converse at first only with her husband. Gentlemen usually stand in groups, while the ladies, sitting, answer the salutation by a similar one. We should remark that the ladies do not rise except in saluting one of their own sex. However distinguished a person may be, we do not allow conversation to be disturbed by their coming. They listen for a few moments while observing what persons are present, then mingle in the conversation, without pretending at all to monopolize it. When conversation is not general, nor the subject sufficiently interesting to occupy the whole company, they break into different groups. Each one converses with one or more of his neighbors on his right and left. 
we should, if we wish to speak to any one, avoid leaning upon the person who happens to be between. A gentleman ought not to lean upon the arm of a lady's chair, but he may, while standing, support himself by the back of it, in order to converse with the lady half-turned towards him. It would be extremely impolite to converse in a loud voice with any one upon private subjects, to make use of allegories and particular allusions which are understood only by the person with whom you are conversing and yourself. It would be equally out of place to converse in a foreign language with any one who might be able to speak it. It is not proper to withdraw in the midst of any conversation, but to wait until the subject in which you are engaged shall be finished. You then salute only the person with whom you have been talking, and depart without taking leave of any one, not even the gentleman and lady of the house. The mind has need of recreations, it cannot be always occupied. Hence the custom of passing a few moments in those family and social parties where we take part in the various amusements and games which have been invented to relax and divert the mind. It is useless to observe here that we do not mean to speak of those scandalous establishments in which are frequently swallowed up the resources of families, and where a person led by an unhappy passion may consume in one evening enough to furnish an annual support for fifty orphans. We design to speak only of those innocent games in which we are ambitious only of the glory of a triumph. To propose to play a deep game would be to expose ourselves to contempt. For those who compose the assembly would imagine that he who makes this request has no other object in view but to enrich himself at the expense of others, and that he is accustomed to frequent those abominable houses of which we have just spoken. We should have a bad opinion of a player who, when he gained, should show excessive joy, and if he lost should betray the least chagrin, for he ought to remember that it is only for amusement that he plays. Conduct yourself without letting escape the least word of dissatisfaction, and be pleasant even if you are unfortunate. When you leave off playing, converse with your adversary, and not seem to avoid him, but especially never speak to him of his good luck in playing, unless it be with a frank gaiety, for otherwise you would seem to be inspired with anger. Play with fairness, and do not endeavor to see the hand of your adversary in order to profit by it. Pay attention to your game, and not hold conversation with others. This inattention would render you necessarily insupportable to those who play with you. If any play is contested, we should not discuss it with warmth, but refer to disinterested persons, explaining to them with calmness and politeness the point in dispute. In playing we must always persevere and even temper. In playing we must always preserve an even temper. Neither should we devote too much time to it, for then this amusement would become irksome and would soon be changed to a fatiguing occupation. When the mistress of the house has prepared the tables for playing, she takes as many cards as each game requires players, and presents them to the persons present, beginning with the one whom she wishes especially to honor. To accept a card 
is considered an engagement to play. The distribution of the players requires all the attention of the mistress of the house, for there are some persons not to be desired for partners. There are, besides bad players, persons who, being little accustomed to playing, stop a long time to think, bite their lips, strike their feet together under the table, drum upon the table with their fingers, pretend that such a person being near brings them bad luck, and request out of their turn to shuffle the cards in order to change the luck, etc. The mistress of the house experiences, besides the embarrassment of arranging these unlucky players, sufficient trouble in keeping from the same table those who have any antipathy to one another. When we commence playing, we salute by an inclination of the head the persons with whom we play, as we deal to them the first card. Gentlemen should collect the cards at the end of each hand, shuffle, and present them to the lady who is to deal. We may, without impropriety, ask of any one if he plays such a game, even if he plays well, and we may ask those invited to play whom they desire as partners. The most honourable set, namely that in which the mistress of the house plays, can never be refused, unless we are unacquainted with playing. Section 3. Little Sports and Games of Society Those sports, called innocent, generally please young persons of both sexes, because they excite an interest, while they require an exercise of the memory and of the mind. It is necessary, however, in this, as in everything else, to manifest attention, delicacy, and propriety. We ought not to endeavor to be noticed for our too great vivacity of freedom. We should be satisfied with showing our talent at playing in our turn, and taking part in the common gaiety without pretension or too great zeal. We should especially avoid throwing out any vindictive remarks, bestowing misplaced compliments, or imposing forfeits which would cause mortification. A young gentleman ought never to seize a young lady by the body, catch hold of her riband or bouquet, nor pay exclusive attention to the same person. He should be agreeable and pleasant towards all. The selection of different games belongs to the ladies. The person who receives the company should be careful to vary them, and when she perceives that any game loses its interest, she should propose another. There are almost always persons in society who wish to take the lead and give the tone. It is a caprice or fault which should be avoided. We may modestly propose any amusement, and ask the opinion of others in regard to it, but never pretend to dictate or even urge having our own proposal accepted. If it does not please generally, we should be silent, and resign ourselves with a good grace to the decisions of the majority. In these little sports, the penalties which are imposed too often consist in embracing the ladies of the company. But as they cannot refuse, since you follow the rule of the game, take care to do it with such propriety that modesty may not be offended. Never prescribe any forfeiture which can wound the feelings of any one of the company." End of Part 3, Chapter 2 Recording by Kevin Davidson 
www.blogordie.com.